The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm not wearing my typical uh, get-up this afternoon. I got something else on. This is uh, my alb that I wore when I was ordained. And I, I've worn it bef- since then, but I haven't worn it here. And I thought, you know what? This is going to be a perfect Saturday to wear the alb, to wear my stole. So I got my stole on. I got my alb on. I'm wearing, Diana is wearing red. Points if you're wearing red. If there's any hue of red, pink, purple, whatever. How about this? We'll just take orange or yellow as well. Anything on that scale, we'll take it. Okay. One of the things that I love about this community is that I can say things, uh, provocative things, and be received. And so what I'm about to say is a little bit, I don't want to use the word provocative, but it's going to offer a, a praise and a criticism of Pentecostalism as we knew it, as we know it, and what it could possibly be in the future. My title this afternoon is Pentecostal, or I just might call it I am Pentecostal. You are Pentecostal. One of the most hurtful things anybody ever said to me was when they looked at me in my eyes and they said, you're not a Pentecostal anymore. I am a Pentecostal. I am fully Pentecostal. But I've always wrestled with the idea of what that means. I've always kind of struggled with the culture of Pentecostalism versus what it truly means to be biblically Pentecostal. The first time I knew that me and Pentecostalism were going to have an interesting relationship was when I was young and I went to a church camp and there was a young man about five feet away from me and I'm just going to call him the literalist because the preacher who was preaching at the time encouraged these young people if they wanted the Holy Ghost, if they wanted to speak in tongues, just open up your mouth and begin to speak in tongues. Well, he took that very literally because he flung his hands open, he lifted up his head to the heavens and he started going... Allah, Allah, Allah. Using his tongue as a literal mechanism, I think when he heard speak in tongues, he meant that somehow you have to use your tongue in an unorthodox way. And to a degree, he's right. But I'll never forget that moment. I looked to my left. There's this young man just going, Allah, Allah, Allah. And something inside of me just said, yeah. I'm going to have an interesting relationship with Pentecostalism. And I knew it from that moment on. There have been things that I had to unlearn from my Pentecostalism. And I don't want you to be offended by that because be assured, I am still fully Pentecostal. But there are some things that I had to unlearn from and about my Pentecostalism. Here's one. Pentecostalism was never meant to be a sect on its own. Pentecostalism was never meant to be a Holy Ghost merit badge where people can trump their relationship or or others in the faith with their relationship to the Spirit. In other words, it's not some sort of merit badge where, where Pentecostals can say, we have the Spirit, yes we do, we have the Spirit, how about you? And you think that as a Pentecostal that others are, are somewhat removed from the Holy Ghost? Let me tell you something. Every denomination of the church will agree, every mainstream denomination of the church will agree with this statement. You receive the Holy Ghost the minute you are baptized and sealed into the church. Can you say amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit is active in your life from that moment on. Here's another thing I had to unlearn about Pentecostalism. The minute you become dogmatic, legalistic, sectarian about Pentecostalism, 
you lose the essence of what it means to be a Pentecostal. A Pentecostal is not one who claims a monopoly on the Spirit. A Pentecostal is one who is radically open to being surprised by God in ways that no one would imagine, including one's own self. And so the minute you feel like I have the corner on the Spirit, you've probably just walked away from the true Pentecostal heart. Here's another thing. I had to discover that in my Pentecostal renovation that I wasn't alone. That there are other people who were rethinking and reimagining what it meant to be Pentecostal. There were many people who were also unlearning, excuse my language, unlearning a false understanding of what it meant to be a Pentecostal. And they were rediscovering more faithful paradigms of what a Pentecostal imagination is and was. So I'm going to use some words here. When we say Pentecostal imagination, you could also substitute that word with Pentecostal spirituality. Or if you want to use a theological term, you could use the word, you could also use the word Pentecostal piety. And when we say Pentecostal piety, we're not using it in a better than thou sense. We're using it as a spiritual term. Pentecostal piety means I engage with God in the world in a certain way. That being, I see the spirit acting in our midst. All right. A false understanding of Pentecostalism or a Pentecostal piety is one that is reactionary. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a lot of people who they came to the Pentecostal church, these individuals came to the Pentecostal church because they thought, my church is boring and I want to go to a church that isn't boring and so let me find a church that is quote-unquote, alive, not scripted, loose, exciting, energetic. And let me just add another word to this. They were seeking a not-tethered imagination. They, they, there's a word I'm thinking of, um, extemporaneous. They were seeking an extemporaneous spirituality, right? Don't tether me to anything. But I have bad news for those folks. The whole point of the Spirit is to tether you to Jesus and to make you like Him. Jesus said to the apostles, you're going to receive power from on high. You're going to receive the Spirit. He said this in Acts. And the whole reason why you receive the Spirit is so that you can go into the world and be my witness. And how are we the witness of Jesus? By doing what he said to do. The Spirit has always, always existed. From Genesis all the way to the end. The Spirit exists so that we can take on healthy form. And the healthiest form that we've been given to take on is the Word made flesh. So God is not opposed to form. God is not opposed to structure or else the incarnation wouldn't have happened. But they were seeking a lively faith and so they thought, let me go to the church that is lively, or at least lively in their eyes. And for this reason, many Pentecostals to this day are actually unaware that they're Pentecostals. Many, many Pentecostals to this day are unaware that they're Pentecostals because as far as they know, they just signed up for a church that had a hip personality behind the pulpit, flashing lights, good band, and loud sound system. So if you want that, you know, Pentecostal culture has definitely been a path for it. Here's another thing, a false paradigm of Pentecostalism, something I'm going to call parlor trick Christianity. Parlor trick Christianity is what you see on television. I'll say this, I've been in services where they interpreted a Pentecostal imagination as breaking from form, 
And then the pastor or the preacher or the, the evangelist goes out into the community, uh, the body, the congregation. Here's what they do. You've been through some things, right? Prophetic word. Now, I'm not saying that prophetic words aren't valid. They are. But when that becomes the centric impulse for your gathering, that's part of the trick Christianity. And it can easily be abused. And by the way, that's simply called a cold read, right? This looks more like what a psychic would do than what a spirit-filled, spirit-led apostle of Jesus Christ would do. And so we have to be careful with parlor trick Christianity. Parlor trick Christianity, parlor trick piety is when you come to church for heightened moments of expression, emotion, entertainment, and intriguing demonstrations that often mirror something similar to a psychic reading. And then finally, a false paradigm of of Pentecostalism is something that I would call, hear me here, damaging Pentecostalism. This is Pentecostalism as honor culture. This is Pentecostalism as authoritarianism. I've heard pastors tell people, if I say jump, you should ask how high. The shepherding movement was a, a movement that swept through the church where you couldn't get married to a person unless the pastor gave the green light. You couldn't buy a house unless the pastor gave a green light. You couldn't buy a car unless the pastor gave a green light. The pastor was there for her or he to tell you who to marry, what to do, how to, how to spend your money, what job to take. That's damaging Pentecostalism. And a lot of the people who have had to unlearn Pentecostalism come from these circles. Here's another form of damaging Pentecostalism, prosperity gospel, or a gospel that I'm going to call transactional, the transactional gospel where you try to get God to do what you want by your own efficacy. I'm going to buy my way, worship my way, praise my way to get God to do my will. And then lastly, the left behind Pentecostalism, dispensationalist Pentecostalism. Now, why are you naming all these false paradigms, these damaging paradigms? Because I want to make sure that when I say I'm a Pentecostal, that folks who hear this preacher know when I say Pentecostal, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that kind of Pentecostalism. But what if these things are not the core of Pentecostal piety? What if these things are not at the heart of what it means to be a Pentecostal? What if the heartbeat of Pentecostalism is not to create a homogenous culture, a sect, a group of Christians who believe they've cornered the ecclesial market in pneumatological activity. Pneumatology, pneumonia, wind, breath, pneuma, spirit. What if it's not to claim some sort of monopoly on the spiritual activity of the church? What if faithful Pentecostalism is not here to give us an us-versus-them dichotomy, the kind of Pentecostalism that has more in common with religious fundamentalism than true Pentecostal spirituality? What if the minute you think you've mastered the Holy Spirit, you've just made your departure from her? Notice how I said her and how you're, you're already edging you know, on that because the fact that I said her challenges the presumption that you feel like you have a corner on the Spirit. God transcends us. We cannot claim that we've mastered the Holy Spirit. And the minute you claim that, you've walked away from Pentecostalism. Now let me say something that is a little bit radical. The Pentecostal church at its worst, at its worst, has systematically removed the mystery of God and 
has replaced the outpouring of the Spirit with siphoning. Here's what I mean. Pentecostalism at its worst believes that we have equations and formulas that can conjure and control the moving of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. In other words, we've rebuilt Babel. Now that was the text that we've read. So let me draw these two worlds together. You can't talk about Pentecost without talking about the Tower of Babel. Because at the Tower of Babel, you have the table of the nations that are scattered. And at Pentecost, you have the table of the nations that are brought together. So at the Tower of Babel, you get the, the scattering of the nations. At Pentecost, you see them united. But at Babel, the unity that they had there was through control and dominance. At Pentecost, the unity that they have there is by celebrating difference and diversity because the Spirit speaks to each in their own native tongue and they understand each other. Now, this is deep. Babel, Pentecostalism at its worst, rebuilds Babel because we become infatuated with our bricks, our structures, our systems, our inherited formulas. We tell God how he's going to work. And we claim that there's no need for him to come down anymore because we're going up. Beware every time you're in a Pentecostal service and they use going up language. Beware of any time you're in a charismatic gathering and they use going up language. Going up is the language of Babel, not Pentecost. Pentecost is not about going up. Pentecost is God coming down, not us siphoning, but God pouring out. And it's, it's totally his grace. It's not our merit. It's not our work. So Babel in our churches is usually centered upon a homogenous culture. That's Babel. Unity through uniformity. That's Babel. Where you have one language, the same words, same ideas. Difference is devalued. Diversity is robbed of dignity. And a dominant group takes control of the culture. Yo, this is why many Pentecostal churches that claim to be multicultural are not that claim to have a multicultural environment, work ethic, whatever. I know a lot of churches that say we're multicultural because you know what? They throw a, 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 a salary to somebody of color and they, I'm going off my script here. <laughs> they throw a salary to somebody of color and they claim multiculturalism when in reality all that is is tokenism because they still have a dominant culture. You want to see true Pentecostal multiculturalism, you have to find communities that have leadership that represents those on the underside of the power dynamic without them capitulating their culture to the dominant group. Right. And so we have to be aware that Babel still affects the church. Anytime we see unity through uniformity, that's Babel, that's dominance. We don't want that. That's not Pentecost. And... If you're like me, you always have read the story of Babel, but you say to yourself, why in the world would God do something like that? Why would God scatter these people of Babel all across the earth? Let me tell you why. It was the most gracious thing God could do. Because what Babel was about was unity through control and dominance. And God loved humanity enough to say, the unity that I have for you is much more loving and beautiful than a dominating group controlling everybody else. And so it was an act of mercy. It was an act of mercy to scatter the nations. But now we have to talk about Pentecost. Let's bring it home. Pentecost is diversity. Pentecost 
is God's work to keep the worship and domination of one group at bay. That's why he scattered them at Babel and to bring the worship of God in the forefront. That's why they hear the wondrous works of God each in their own tongue. And then to keep telling people or to keep people from repeating the mistakes of the past. If you look at Babel, something happened afterwards. God grabs a group of folks called the Jews and he says, hey, you guys, be different. Be holy. Be peculiar. I don't want Babel to start again. So I'm going to take a group, use them as a model, and tell them to be different, be holy, and check this out. And I'm going to use this group to bless every single nation. I'm going to use this group to bring every single nation in. That, that is beautiful. He takes a group of people, says, you be different. Stanley Auerwas says that Judaism in the wake of Babel was born as a protest against empire. That's the point of Judaism. It's a protest against empire where you had the whole earth. It says it three times in your text, in the Genesis text. You have the whole earth united around the wrong thing, tribalism, domination. But in comes Pentecost, which is not uni unity through dominance. It's unity through diversity. Let me wrap this up. Pentecost is where the Spirit spans the most diverse chasms. Pentecost is where the Spirit enables understanding without domination. Pentecost is a refusal of a cheap kind of unity that gathers around uniformity. And let me just preach for a second here. If your Pentecostalism is centered upon one gender, one denomination, one political party, Instead of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, then you look more like Babel than Pentecost. <laughs> there is no stronger call to ecumenism than Pentecost. There is no stronger call to ecumenism <laughs> than Pentecost. Where, by the power of the unsearchable God, every nation under heaven is brought into the church. So Pentecostalism, rightly understood, is a movement of the Spirit to bring outsiders in without making them capitulate the way they speak to God and to others. It's a movement of expansive inclusion. That's the whole reason the power of the Spirit is given, to expand the loving witness of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to quote Jesus and all the ends of the earth. So here's the quote Diana read, Jonathan Martin. What does the Holy Spirit do if not unite the church, bring people of God together, and ultimately fulfill Jesus' prayer in John 17 that all Christians would be one? The idea that somehow the Spirit would be given to the church for the sake of setting one sect over and against another is absurd. This is why we cannot talk about the Pentecostal movement without the broader connection to the whole church of which Pentecost was meant for. Pentecost is always a move towards inclusion. James K. A. Smith says, Pentecost is not just for Pentecostals. Pentecost is really the DNA of the entire church. You can't be a part of the body of Christ and not be Pentecostal. Pentecostalism is not a doctrine, a pneumatology. It's a way of knowing God and being present to the world in a way that's tacit and explicit. It's the shared heritage of the entire body of Christ. So my final statement. Am I a Pentecostal? Oh yeah. 
I'm a Pentecostal. Pentecostalism is a spirituality, a piety, that allows God's children to be wonderfully surprised at how God's Spirit is still actively fulfilling God's promise to Abraham, who was called out of his tribe to look for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, called out from a tight-knit homogenous culture to be a foreigner, so that ultimately God could bless all people from all nations. And here at the Sacred Commons, we're about to say it. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. The word Catholic, this is why I feel so strongly about that word in the creed. The word Catholic, lowercase c, of course, simply means all-embracing, diverse, indiscriminate, and universal. And you can't be more Pentecostal than that. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.